Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy, and for the next two broadcasts, I'm going to be covering the vengeance of God. The reason why I'm doing this, there's so many people that understand grace today, but almost act as if God has changed from the Old Testament. God is the same. Old Testament, New Testament says God has never changed. He's still the same. Right now, we're living under a dispensation called grace, but the world is going to see the wrath of God to come. You want to understand that? You want to understand it together? Then let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandy and great to have you here with me today. I'm going to take up a subject that I've really touched very little on, although I've talked about the God of war and talked about war and fighting for your country and patriotism and things like that. But I'm going to talk about the vengeance and the wrath of God. I'm going to talk about the fact that God does have a temper if you want to just put it right down to it, and he gets angry at sin. And uh, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we live in the dispensation of grace, and we have for almost 2,000 years, or actually over 2,000 years. And by looking at that, you'd almost think like God has changed. And that's exactly how many Christians feel. They say, well, I don't like to read the Old Testament because God's, man, he's totally changed since the Old Testament. No, God has not changed. To be honest with you, don't talk to my wife, but I do have a temper. And I lose my temper at times. Well, there's times I learn to control it under certain cases, you know, but other times, man, if something just really offends me or offends with especially the faith that I stand for, inside I begin to seethe over that thing. And the point of it is, you know, I've gone through phases in my life, but the point of it is I'm still Bob. I haven't changed at all. God has come through these phases based on the dispensation, the time, and the covenant that Israel had with him. And in the Old Testament, since he did not approach them in grace because they didn't ask him to, he approached them in grace to start with, and we see less of a vengeful God. In the beginning of the Bible, in the, in the opening chapters, we have it. We do have the flood that's mentioned there. But we have God trying to get along with people and, and introducing his grace, introducing uh, the sacrifices, all these things. And then we see God's anger displayed. Sodom and Gomorrah is a great example in other places where God literally totally destroyed them and the flood of Noah. So we come back to it. By the time we come to the New Testament, the dispensation of grace, we almost see a change in God, but God has not changed. The vengeance and wrath of God has been delayed during the church age, and we find out that we have not been appointed to wrath, and that is those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we do find times, though, that Christians were martyred and things like that, but the wrath of God is not displayed there. That's the wrath of man. So to be honest with you, God has not changed, and we still see in the New Testament that God can be a God of wrath. Jesus got very angry at the uh, money changers. He got uh, very angry at the Pharisees. So we see that side of God, and God, again, does not change. In fact, the Old Testament and the New Testament both quote the verse of Scripture, I am the Lord your God, and I do not change. So when is it going to be that God's going to show his wrath again? Whenever the church is brought up into heaven and the tribulation begins on earth, you're going to see, as it was back there when Israel was delivered out of the land of Egypt, 
that God stood up and Pharaoh stood up and Pharaoh stood up and God stood up and the uh, God of Israel and the God of the new covenant that we have today stood up against them and poured out tremendous amounts of wrath, 10 plagues on the children of Egypt, the people of Egypt, the inhabitants of Egypt, but the children of Israel were protected during that time. A beautiful example of how God sees today he protects his people from the wrath of Satan, the wrath of the world, and watches over us. But just as in that time, God showed his wrath on the Egyptians, God is going to show his wrath on the earth against the nations and the people that have rejected him, but still give them an opportunity to repent because the tribulation that's coming soon will be a time of the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen, but also at the same time, an outpouring of the vengeance and the wrath of God. So we're going to take a look at it because I think uh, probably the book of Joshua demonstrates this, and there's been more controversy from theologians about the book of Joshua simply because they say, well, how could God be so angry toward these poor, innocent people that live there? Well, they were weren't poor, innocent people. He was taking time with them as he did with Egypt and as he gave Egypt 400 years to accept him as Lord and Savior, we find that the uh, occupants of Canaan got 440 years. They got an additional 40 years before the children of Israel came into their land to possess it. And during that time, he gave them plenty of opportunity to repent, and only one did, and that was Rahab the harlot and her family received the Lord as Savior. So when the spies came in, that family was delivered. So today we're going to take a look at Joshua chapter 10 and 11, and we're going to be taking a couple of lessons on this, talking about the wrath of God. And so I'm offering my flash drive on the book of Joshua, verse by verse through it, a tremendous book. In fact, this book of the Old Testament lines up very clearly with the book of Ephesians in the New Testament about the greatness of learning to walk with God. And then also the book of Romans, because the book of Romans deals very much with the wrath of God in the opening chapter. The wrath of God is poured out on those who turn against him, who stand against him, but he loves and takes care of those who are his own children. Even when we're disobedient, God still loves us and chastens us through his love. So those will be the offer and the uh, announcer will come on at halftime and tell you how you can have a copy of it. And then also at the end of the broadcast. In Joshua chapter, Chapter 9, Joshua is deceived by a group of Gibeonites who falsely draw him into a peace treaty. Joshua fell for it. Their plan was deceptive, but their motive might have been acceptable because they didn't want to fight the God of Israel. They knew about the God of Israel. So they came in, but their deception was they came in acting like they were poor. They came from a long way off when they were really just over the next horizon, over the next major hill. And they came and they, they put themselves in bad clothes and then they acted like this. And so they immediately drew Joshua's love and Joshua's tenderness toward them and they deceived him. In fact, all those around Joshua warned him, be careful, Joshua. These people may not be what they appear to be. But Joshua went ahead and drew up a treaty with them that uh, he would not attack them. Then he found out they were over the next hill. Now, Joshua had every reason to break that covenant with them, but because he did it, he stuck with it. Because he was deceived, he went and said, but I was the one deceived. So he went ahead and took care of them. So in Joshua chapter 10, he defends the city of Gibeon. 
even having his own men travel all night to fight uphill the next morning beside them against five Amorite armies united to destroy them. So the attacking armies were planning on destroying Gibeon to teach the other cities not to form an alliance with Israel. But the armies also didn't believe Israel would defend a city who betrayed them. And even being thankful later on for their destruction, but that's not at all what happened. In this battle, Joshua is overcoming the enemies, but faced with a lack of time to finish. He commands the sun and the moon to stand still, and the Amorites worship the sun, and they worship the moon, and Joshua showed them he had authority over their gods, even to stop them from moving in their paths. This is a great example of New Testament, the fact that God has given us authority in this earth, and in times of great needs and peril, we can also stand up and command nature to stop. And we can change nature in the fact that disease can be stopped, sickness can be stopped, demons can be cast out. All this has been given to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most times, God change in nature is in opposition to his enemies. The flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, the 10 plagues against Egypt rejecting him and at the Red Sea. But this is different than his change in nature for his people. The star of Bethlehem, the coming worldwide darkness in the valley of decision at Armageddon, all these things are going to come later on. But in Joshua chapter 10 and chapter 11, this is one of the most criticized parts of the Bible. Joshua uses nature as a tool of judgment to annihilate the inhabitants of Canaan, and he literally annihilated them. Philosophical, political, and liberal religious leaders say these two chapters tell of a terrible God who killed innocent people. They say the Canaanites were simply people who had a wrong religion and did not worship Israel's God. They also were just living in the wrong place, and Christians teach that God is a brute, a bully, a killing of men and women, children and animals in his unpredictable wrath. So even Christians, liberal Christians, teach that God was a God who displayed wrath back there, but he's not the same God today. Listen, God has not changed. And the Bible says, behold, both the goodness and the severity of God. In some places we see the goodness, in some places we see the severity, but just like you in your own life, there's times when there's things that just tick you off. And I mean, God is ticked off by the sin of man, and it finally reaches a boiling point one day where God displays his wrath, because if he didn't, this would continue to cover the entire earth. And what the liberal theologians say today, as well as liberal Christians, the Canaanites were not the evil one. The Israelites were the evil one, backed by an evil God. We will not back down from the issue. I'm not going to refuse to address it simply because there's so much controversy on it because I want you to understand I am thankful I'm living in the dispensation of grace. I'm thankful I'm living in the church age, but there's going to come a day when Jesus Christ comes for his church, and at that time, the wrath of God's going to be poured out on a Jesus Christ-rejecting world. And for 2,000 years of the church age, and over that time period, actually, people have been rejecting, standing right beside those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So these two chapters take six to seven years to accomplish. Joshua chapter 10 is the southern conquest of Canaan, and Joshua chapter 11 is the conquest of the northern part of Canaan. In chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, King Adonizedek heard how that Israel had completely destroyed Jericho and Ai and left nothing living. And Gibeon, 
made peace with Israel and crossed over to the other side. In verses 10 through 14, the Lord caused great confusion among Israel's enemies and sent large hailstones on the five kings of their armies, killing many of their men. Only the Canaanites were hit and killed, and God's people were left undisturbed. Many Christian commentaries doubt the reality of the sun and moon stopping in their paths. They say it's almost like the unbelieving world say this could not really have happened because liberal scholars think nature is perfect, self-contained, impervious to God and man's intervention. And yet throughout the word of God, God has dabbled into nature, stopped it or changed it in front of people. You know, when you're driving a car designed to run and to stop, it cannot do it without man's intervention. It's called a driver. And many times in the word of God, God has put a human being in the driver's seat, even of nature. And of course, this just makes scientists stop and get confused about it. Any piece of machinery is run, controlled, or stopped by a man. And God, who is the creator of nature, is also the controller of it. And sometimes, as in this case, turns it over to man himself. Jesus told his disciples, all authority is given unto me, but now I give you authority. Since I'm going back to heaven, I give you authority to cast out devils and demons and over all the works of the enemy. So Joshua spoke directly to the sun and to the moon, showing his involvement in the system of nature when given divine authority, and he was given divine authority to do it. Jesus spoke to a fig tree. Jesus spoke to sickness. Jesus spoke to disease and to demons, and we too, under God's authority, speak to circumstances, sickness, disease, demons, trees, and mountains. It's recorded in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, and Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. I will see you immediately after the break. The book of Joshua provides many lessons which apply to our lives as believers in the church age. They help us understand the life that we came from as well as the life that we are now living. In 12 lessons, Pastor Bob Yandian completes a thorough verse-by-verse teaching of the book of Joshua and reveals why its lessons are so important to today's Christians. Subjects include God's promise of victory, spying out the land, entering the land, circumcision before battle, the battle of Jericho, the sin in the camp, the victory at Ai, the deceit of the devil, let not the sun go down, victory after victory, and dividing the land. To order your copy of the book of Joshua available on CDs, USB flash drive, or MP3 downloads, visit our website at bobyendian.com. Romans New Testament Commentary is a verse-by-verse teaching of the Book of Romans from the personal study notes of Pastor Bob Yandian. In his letter to the Romans, Paul clarified the principle of justification and whether it is by deeds of the law or by the work of God. Paul reveals that the law has never been a means of salvation and that faith has always been the means of spirituality regardless of the dispensation. This epistle also helps us to understand how we may gain victory over the flesh. If we as believers walk according to our new nature, the inward man, we are controlled by the Holy Spirit and not the sin nature. To order Romans New Testament Commentary, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. 
You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. These stories that I'm talking about in the book of Joshua just really amplify the love of God for his people and the anger of God over those who don't accept him as Lord and Savior and the lifestyle that they live. And so oftentimes if a person doesn't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, even though the wrath of God covers him and is talked about in the word of God, it will not be seen until that person dies and stands eventually at the great white throne judgment. But when a person not only does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but turns against the church of God in this earth, that's when the wrath of God is poured out upon this lifetime. We see it throughout the word of God. We see it in the Old Testament again with Sodom and Gomorrah and how their sins were actually perverting and getting over into God's camp. We see this in also when the children of Israel were in the uh, wilderness and they were traveling there, but the gods of the Canaanites begin to come in and Israel begin to offer sacrifices to idols, things like this. And so God got angry at them even in the time of the wilderness. When the children of Israel were taken for 70 years into captivity, into Babylon, we find that the same thing happened. God gave them plenty of time to repent, but God wasn't so angry at them because of his relationship to them. He was angry at them because of their disobedience. It was after their salvation and they began to follow the gods of the Canaanites. And so God's anger came on them. But we do find the anger of God. It's limited in the case of a believer and unlimited in the case of an unbeliever. We find when the children of Israel were following after the Canaanites, they went into captivity, but they were only there for 70 years. Many of them died, but a great remnant came back out and started the nation all over again with a new temple and a new dedication to God. And another that new dedication to God literally was the fact that from that time on, they never worshiped idols again. Oh, they got into other sins. By the time Jesus came, they began to look at themselves in great pride and the fact that they followed the law and even turned the law into a means of salvation. God got angry at them for that because the law was never designed to save. So we find out this again, but in the Old Testament, we have the amplification of what God's going to do whenever the church is taken out of the way. God will still protect those who accept him as Lord and Savior, although many will be martyred. God protects them in the fact that no one can completely annihilate them. They can't take them out. And whenever the tribulation is over, a great number of people born again during the tribulation will go right on into the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we have the love of God, the compassion of God, and the mercy of God shown to those who accept him. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesses the habitation of the just. Right now, we're living at the closing of the church age. We can tell everywhere we're looking around us, the time of the tribulation is about to come. But those who are saved during the time of the tribulation will still have a protection of God. In fact, in Israel, they are told there that when uh, Antichrist comes and sits on the throne inside the temple, that they are to flee to three mountain ranges, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, and God will take care of them and protect them if they'll just stay there and not come down from those mountains. And that's what happens is God has places that much like in the Old Testament, he has places wherever a 
where a person could run and be taken in and the, and the wrath of God would not be poured out on them, uh, cities of refuge. We have the same thing there on those mountains. Those become mountains of refuge. God loves his people, but he does not hesitate to pour out his anger and vengeance on a God-rejecting world and will until the day when Israel is almost lost to Satan at the end of the tribulation in Jerusalem, almost taken over by Satan. And literally within one day of that happening, uh, Jesus comes back the battle of Armageddon and great masses of people are destroyed at that time. It's amazing. The Bible tells us also in the second half of the tribulation, there's one time in that where it says a quarter of the world's population dies. Think about that for just a moment. We have eight billion people on the earth today. If a quarter of those died, then literally two billion people died. That will, that will outrank anything God has ever done in the tribulation. And by the time the end of the tribulation comes at the battle of Armageddon, literally every army that comes against Jesus at the time of the battle of Armageddon will be destroyed. And it won't be destroyed by the uh, people coming from heaven. It will not be destroyed by armies of angels. It'll be done by one man himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will open up his mouth and out of his mouth will proceed a sharp two-edged sword. And the nations that come against Israel and against Jerusalem and against the Lord our God will be destroyed. And the Bible says so many people will be destroyed that the blood will run to the horse's bridles for 185 miles. Can you imagine that? Well, you can't even imagine blood that deep running that far, but that's how many people are going to be killed. And again, it's not the fact that they suddenly woke up one day and said, I'm going to reject God. They've done it for years and years and years, kept rejecting, kept rejecting, kept rejecting. Their sin level keeps increasing and finally it reaches a boiling point with God. He cannot take it anymore and has to stop it. On top of that, if he didn't stop it, his own people would be killed in this earth. So God does it out of anger toward toward the works of Satan, the works of the world, but also toward love for his own people. And today that's the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the time of the tribulation, be all those around the world who've accepted him as Lord and Savior. So again, we were talking about before the break came, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has saved us, but also not only has he saved us, he has given us authority. It's not every day that we speak to situations. It's not every day that we speak to demons. It's not every day that we speak to sickness and disease, but whenever those things loom in front of us and we find them and run face to face with them, God has given us authority through the name of Jesus to speak to the circumstances of life. Jesus spoke to a storm. We're told in Romans chapter eight, what should we say to these things? These things are sickness, and disease, and it's also uh, famine and all the different things that happen in life. We're told there war, stress of days. I mean, everything that's brought out that'll be in the days we're living in, all those things. He said, what shall we then say to these things? And what do we say to these things? If God be for me, you cannot be against me. So we do speak to the circumstances of life. And we too, under God's authority, speak to sickness, disease, demons, trees and mountains are also mentioned there. Just as Joshua in his day spoke to the sun and the moon and stopped them from moving and gave an extra amount of time that day for him to finish the work he was doing and to slay the enemies of those uh, of those Jews that were coming into the land and slay the enemies that were trying to destroy them. And so again, we speak to those things. Jesus gave it to us. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. 
He gave it to us, and that's his disciples. He started with the disciples, but it's been given to us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Sometimes we overamplify God's love, ignoring his other attributes. God's mercy and God's wrath are both as real as his love. God's grace and God's vengeance are just as real as his love. God's goodness and God's severity are as real as his love. And the Bible tells us, behold, both the goodness and the severity of God. Jesus was applauded when he came to heaven after his work on earth and his seating at the right hand of the Father and all heaven shouted out, loving righteousness and hating iniquity. Hebrews chapter one and verse nine. God blessed him for the fact that he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. If Jesus loved righteousness and Jesus hated iniquity, then perhaps it's time for the church to wake up and love righteousness and hate iniquity. Whenever our government, whenever anything around us begins to turn and face iniquity and call it great and then turn toward righteousness and call it evil, it's time for Christians to stand up and God will applaud you for doing it as much as he applauded Jesus coming into heaven at the end of his time on this earth to be seated at the right hand of the Father when God said, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity, Hebrews 1.9. God's holy is as real as his grace. God's justice is as real as his mercy. God's grace has limits. He's long-suffering. He's not infinite suffering. He comes to a limit on how much he will allow even the world to go, and especially believers. Daily living grace cannot be exhausted. Shall we sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. He speaks to believers, and daily living grace can be exhausted. There can come a time when God says, listen, I have been gracious to you. I've been merciful to you. I've been long-suffering to you. But listen, this is where it ends, and now you're going to face discipline in your life. Sounds a little like parents, doesn't it? I mean, if you're like me and my wife, there's times whenever our kids would get away with something and we go, okay, okay. We'd talk to them and we would talk to them and they'd do it again. Then we come back the second time. Do we talk to them again or do we spank them? And we would talk to them again. And by the third or fourth time, we begin to realize something. They think we will just keep on going and not do anything about it. And then when you pull the paddle out, you can see they go, what? How can you do this? Because we've given you option after option. We've given you mercy after mercy. We have given you time after time to repent, but you won't repent. And now you think we're just going to keep on going and you control us. The world has that idea. And, and sadly, many carnal Christians have the idea we can control God. Again, daily living grace as a believer, can be exhausted. God is called long-suffering. He's not called infinite suffering. Shall we sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. There came a time for divine judgment on the wicked in the day of Joshua. There's coming a day for divine judgment upon the wicked as we come to the end of the church age and then come especially to the end of the tribulation and God's gonna bring up the believers into heaven to stand before him in judgment for the works we have done in the flesh and then later on unbelievers will stand at the great white throne judgment and be judged for the rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Even though 
though we as believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for the things we have done wrong and sinned in this world, we're still allowed into heaven because we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Our evil works or our bad works or our works done under the control of the flesh when we stand before God is going to limit the amount of rewards we will have in heaven. Some will have great amounts of rewards, others will not. That's the believers. But the unbelievers will be judged for only one thing. Did you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And we're told in the closing of the book of Revelation, those names which were not found in the book of life. That's the book of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Those names not found in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. So the only prerequisite for getting into heaven is accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Once you get there, your reward, your rewards will be given for the works you have done in the earth for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope I'm making sense on this, is that God still has an anger inside of him. You and I will never draw that because the Bible says, we have not been appointed unto wrath. So God can discipline us, but we'll never see the wrath of God like the unbeliever will. We'll continue this tomorrow. I know this is a great blessing to you. I'll see you then. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.